Welcome to the Good Road Podcast, where we talk about creativity, connectivity, and community with anybody involved in the arts. In our home city of Litchfield and, and the world at large. Good evening and welcome to this, the third Good Row Productions podcast. Say hello, Alan. Hello. Hello. We're here with uh, probably one of the most uh, gifted young actors of his generation. Good Lord. Um, A chap I've worked with for a number of years on a number of uh, very happy projects. And his name is Christopher Commander. Hello. That you you've set me up now. I've got to I've got to yeah. perform for a terrible fall. Yeah, well. You're not going to fall. That's you're life. Fall. <laughs> so, um we have as I said worked together on a number of projects. We worked together on a show that you won an award for called the I Vortex. did. I did. And also a show that you didn't win an award for called Perfect Murder. Also true. These are facts. Um, We'll start at the beginning. Let's roll the clock back. Begin at the beginning. Um, so uh, our listeners, as would we, would like to know where you came from. Well, to start at the beginning, I was born. I have subsequently lived since that point. It's it's weird because I was born over here. I was born in the United Kingdom and then spent most of my pubescent and prepubescent days in in the United States, on the east coast of the Americas, specifically Northern America. Why was that? Uh, That was due to the fact that my parents had houses over there for a long period of time during the 80s um, that that they didn't have anymore. But as a small child, we would travel a lot back and forth and all over the globe. We went went to Hong Kong. We went to all sorts of places as a kid. I I was a leash baby. Right. I was, so why was that? Was, that was to do with your parents? That was to do... That was mainly the... Um, they were reaping the rewards of, of my father's success in a little band known as Electric Light Orchestra. ELO, I believe. Uh, ELO, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the eighth biggest band in the world in the 80s. Eighth biggest. Um, but so he would go and he would, um, he would sing with them and he would be their sound engineer when they went off and did tours. And he and Jeff had been friends since they grew up. They grew up on the same street. They were they were best friends. And so during the height of all of that, Dad um, was making uh, a living. And uh, he he treated my mom to, to a couple of houses on the, on so the East how, Coast. How old were you at that point? Well, that was in the 80s. I wasn't born yet. Okay. But those houses sort of lasted to the early 90s because um, I'm, I'm a 90s boy, an early 90s child. And I sort of went, I, I guess as a, as, a tri- as a baby, I would have visited those houses before they, before they, before they left. But then we came back here and I did uh, primary school over here. Uh, and then we sort of moved back over there with the idea that when my parents sort of realized that it wasn't just their kid in a school play that he wanted to do acting. That was that was what he set his mind on. My dad wanted to use his contacts and, and sort of forge a path for me as much as he could. That being said, we are a very independent family. So it was very much, you know, I'll help to an extent, but, you know, I might try and open doors, but it's your, you know, you've got to do this on your own. So talk to us a bit about that first production you did as a kid when you realised 
this is what I want to do because I mean, you've talked wow. earlier previously about you know kind of being sort of slightly displaced in terms of your identity. So yeah, I'll answer those backwards. I think I've always felt slightly not fully at home in any place that I sort of live. And that comes from, I think, probably us traveling as when I was a baby and um, being a very independent family. Uh, and when I was in the States, I was very much an English person transplanted to the States. And then through osmosis and, and being the English kid in school, sort of giving myself an American accent and then finding myself coming back over here in 2014 full time, I was sort of Americanized and and now I'm sort of a mutt in between and um, also don't quite feel fully at home here. Um, there are pros and cons with that. I kind of like the nomadic, not needing to feel like I need to be stuck in one place, but at the same time, not having a quote unquote family of, of people that I am constantly in contact with, which is sort of why you... You know, you reach out and you find theater because that's your family. For however long you're with that company, those are your closest people. It's weird to think of what was the one that turned me on to acting because it's, it's been my only thing that I've ever wanted to do. I'm sure, like, as a kid, I wanted, like, when I was asked, when I was a small child, I wanted to be Spider-Man and then well, acting. Uh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? And... Yeah, it's always been with me. I mean, I started doing nativities in school. Yeah. But yeah, it's never not been something I wanted to do. But you have that other dimension as well Ooh, a as dimension. a magician. Sure. And I think they are they are connected tangentially through me as an only child. I think the idea of having this icebreaker of being able to take a pack of cards and go to someone and be like, you know, now you're my friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but you're extraordinarily having... good at it and you're very Thank almost you. modest about it. It's almost like you play that down. It's almost like, you know, it's an incidental. Because I think you it's... identify primarily as an actor, don't you? I think that's one of the, the bigger issues that I face in terms of identity. And it's one of the reasons why I love acting, which I don't, I don't like being myself. So I like being, I'm more comfortable on stage being Hamlet than I am talking to you now <laughs> and so and the same with magic it's it's another it's another facade to put on when i'm performing magic and i am known by a few people as a magician and i think my inner identity and my career going forward that that bugs me because i like to be known to do this stuff and i can do it and there's been a show based on it which i sort of uh, play down as well but it's not what i want to be identified as and so that's a really tough thing to be like we understand like i i know that i'm i know that i'm an okay magician and I, it's it's helped pay bills and all mm -hmm. sorts of stuff um but it's not i don't i don't want to be a it's magician I mean, I, yeah i mean somebody called me i was working in scotland and oh, they yes. wanted one you know yeah. donna from the dance studio yeah and I thought, well, you. And I called you up and you did the job. And they loved you. I mean, you, you, you had a real effect on them. You had a real impact. And it's kind of strange to think that that's not even your kind of B game. You know? yeah, because I, I, you have an incredible focus in the, in the you know, having worked with, you know, we did, uh, you know, we did The Vortex, The Noel Coward Show, which is a show that is probably not his best known or most popular show. But you went 
above and beyond the the call of of any you know show for me be it amateur or professional you really kind of immersed yourself in that and were kind of justly rewarded and awarded for it sure so talk to us a little bit about where that came from that kind of meticulous uh i won't say obsessive because i think it sort of downplays it or uh, it cheapens it it Mm. was just a dedication so where does that come from i think that comes from inner um what's the right word uh self-conscious never feeling i'm i'm good enough for myself i think that's what it comes down to it comes i get that yeah i want to i want it to be better than i can make it so if i put 110 percent in it'll at least be close to what i want it to be yeah but the piece has got to be worth it before you'll invest i mean how careful are you about the the kind of uh work that you choose to be creative in i think all i think we all as performers and trying to make it in the quote-unquote profession um we always take stuff that doesn't feel like it hits the creative prowess that we that we want it to be but i try and be careful with the projects that i pick i think oddly enough a lot of it comes down to my love of shakespeare and so parts that emulate the the emotional attachment and good writing and 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 stuff you can sort of sink your teeth into that's that's what that's what guides me and i think oh this feels dark and 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 down certain alleyways i think tormented characters are something that i that i love playing because it's cathartic for me Mm. i i have a I have an unhealthy relationship with with some deep anger that I I hope no one thinks that I'm an angry person, but I can <laughs> far from it. I thank you. Um, I can tap into that. I can tap into some deep part of me that that has that has real anger with I don't know with the world or with certain people and um, and it's cathartic to me to find characters that I can I can release that with. Uh, yeah. So what character then? would be the character that you would say that was the best fit or that you had the greatest catharsis with i have an affinity for hamlet as my favorite play character that i've ever done and one that not from a perspective of oh isn't that cliche he's a shakespeare nerd and he loves hamlet it's more than that it's not just the fact that hamlet is a great play and everything it's the fact that he's got things that 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 talk to all of us and talk to you specifically. And when Hamlet's talking, it feels like it's talking to the world and also individually, every person in the audience um, and to the actor to do a good Hamlet. I think you have to be as, as raw with yourself as you possibly can. Um, That the whole quote unquote, there's a, there's a Hamlet in everywhere. There's, there's infinite Hamlets because there are infinite people to play Hamlet. But I think he, he hits on the right sort of, it's a play that I will never be done with, no matter how many times I do it. I and mean, even if you're not playing Hamlet, and if I mean, obviously, as you age, I mean, uh, do you look at, you know, kind of Claudius? Do you think? Yeah, of, it's interesting. Do you think? I mean, do you think in those ways? I I played uh, for a very limited run. I played Claudius um, as a mentor actor to a younger actor playing Hamlet, with the same company that I did mm-hmm. it for in 2014, and. That was that was interesting to see it from a different perspective. 
because I would do the same thing, very meticulous stuff. And you always want to work with people better than you that will stretch you, be it uh, actors or directors or people that will that will push you to do something that can be seen as extraordinary, that that feels extraordinary. And those are the the creative moments that that really push you to go, yes, this is why I do what I do, because this is the stuff that 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 keeps me going. It's the stuff that, that I that I live for. Um, and those moments on stage that you can feel. You come yeah. off stage and you go, the audience got that. We were, we were at one. Yeah. So you, you said that you are a, have a great love for Shakespeare um, and you've been doing things connected with Shakespeare for, for quite some time. So just take us through a little bit of that. Uh, this will come back to another story of my father. I was introduced to Shakespeare at an early age before I understood any of the words or anything. Um, he introduced me to Franco Zeffirelli's Romeo and Juliet because mm-hmm. he thought as me as basically as a baby, he thought that I would enjoy the masquerade scene and I'd get a kick out of it. So he put it on up to that point And apparently I was just enthralled from the get go from the, from the opening um, in the courtyard and seeing everyone and Mercutio and, and seeing where that go and the masquerade scene. But I watched the whole thing and just wanted to watch it again and again and again. And so then when I could understand the words and researched it and learned about it and, and read as much of it as I could, it all sort of kicked off in 2009 when I was in school. I was in high school my first year and uh, we had a substitute teacher one day. Um, in walks this woman we're all messing about in English class. Um, we're doing some form of work. She walks in and she goes, we're not going to do what's on the syllabus today. We're not going to continue with the work that you've been doing because you're not going to listen to me anyway as a substitute teacher. So I've brought with me um, about a dozen copies of Macbeth and we're just going to read Macbeth. Uh, and so she hands them out to everyone and she says, does anyone want to read certain roles? Like, we're just going to cast it and read it. And as the English class, everyone in the English class was like, why are we reading? <laughs> why are we performing? It's not a theatre class. Um, but me being the... Uh, the thespian. The thespian. <laughs> uh, me being the kiss-ass, really, is what it is. I, I raised my hand and I said, I'll, I'll, I'll read something. Um, so I played, I think, Banquo and one of the witches. Mm-hmm. And after that, she says, well, there was a slight ulterior motive to this. I run a theatre during the summer that does Shakespeare. <laughs> and uh, she has this very clever way of going and getting paid for subbing and also being able <laughs> yeah. to steal the young actors. <laughs> so good. that had you walking f- out of school to that uh, audition? Yes. And you got cast as? Romeo. In Romeo and Juliet. Uh, That was quite interesting as well because I'd never been to the theatre and I didn't know where they'd rehearsed. So are they big spaces? Are they big auditoriums? They're usually... So it's a touring outdoor company. Right. So it depends on who wants us in the region. And rehearsal spaces are dotted around depending on who will give us the biggest space for the cheapest amount of money. And so I'd never been there and uh, we... I rocked up late. <laughs> I walk through the door and there's all the guys on the, on the, on the left-hand side and all the women on the right-hand side. And right in the middle, facing away from me, down this long corridor, is the director. And all the boys look at me and all the girls look at me. I'm late. And uh, she turns around and she goes, oh, hello. 
hello, hello, Chris. It's good to see you. I'm, I'm glad that you've shown up. And I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. And she goes, just hang out with the, hang out with the boys for a bit. So I sort of walk over there and hang out with the boys. And the boys are all looking at me, looking up and down and looking everyone else up and down going, thinking, who's going to be, uh, who's going to be Romeo then? Who's going to be Romeo? And all the girls on the other side aren't looking at themselves thinking who's going to be Juliet. They're looking at the boys trying to figure out who's going to be Romeo. And so the audition process continued and I was the newbie. Everyone else had been in this company before and it was sort of a moment of feeling the pressure of an audition. She made it very relaxed. It wasn't like pick a number, you know, so-and-so come up and do your piece. It was very relaxed, very much an ensemble piece. And halfway through the audition, she she sort of called me over and she said, how do you feel about playing Romeo? And a lot of emotions went through my head because I was the newbie and obviously these guys have have wanted to do this part. They know what they're auditioning for. Um, And I said, well, yes, absolutely. I'd love to. Let's, you know, she's like, okay, don't mention it to anyone. We'll just continue the rehearsal. And then I sort of found myself, you know, auditioning, doing lines with, doing your slate with different actors and then your reading that line more often than someone else's and you're sort of getting an idea of who might be uh, in her mind for certain characters. Um, And then that sort of started this big constant love affair with Shakespeare because I was constantly doing it every year. Is there a sense then that everything else is like second rate and that Shakespeare is what you want to be doing and everything else is second rate? I would say yes, but only because uh, that comes from my negligence and my uh, arrogance towards Shakespeare. It comes from me not having read many contemporary plays, and there are some brilliant contemporary plays out there, but I haven't had the diligence to read them because I've been so self-absorbed with a man that died over 400 years ago. So I... I say yes, knowing that I'm wrong. I absolutely know I'm wrong with that. But um, he's 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 my ultimate friend and comfort when it comes yeah, down it's, to it's it. It's right for you. Yeah, and, and you've done some stuff at Stratford as well, haven't you? Or is that what? Is that That's all company? sort of connected to the theatre company in the states because in 2013, the director decided that she wanted to do a Hamlet. She hadn't done a Hamlet for a long time. She thought she had the right people for it. So she wanted to do a very close cast of about, I think the first cast was 11 people mm-hmm. and, and really cut it down to its bare basics. Not much props, not much costumes, really make it about the text, which is something that I, talking about the, the love of detail, is I adore. I adore doing text analysis and I, I adore breaking text down like that and, and, and the the inner meanings of stuff. So we did that and she said, I want to do this because I've got Chris to do Hamlet. Um, I know who I want. I know what this production is. And so obviously I said, yes, I was, I I was very young. Um, I wouldn't say I was too young. Um, Technically. No, I can't say that because it's not technically true. I don't know if that's true. It's got to be close to being true. Well, you'll have to say it. I've got to say it now. I've I've built this up. (laughs) I think professionally I was, one of the youngest Hamlets, I think. So that's quite a nice badge. But it also comes with, I mean, we we fundraised the show Mm -hmm. because as we were doing that run, 
I used to have a contact at the RSC who now works for the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And he said they do Shakespeare outdoors um, at the RSC, at the, the, the Dell, and you could come and do a show. And it was just perfect timing because we had a Hamlet, we had a small cast, and we said, okay. So we sent off the application. I told them who I was. I told them who my friend was and, and sort of had the right connections, the right, the right people to talk to with the right names, it felt like. And we got accepted and they said, can you come this August? And we went, we don't have the money to, to do. We don't have the money to cut the run in half, lose that money yeah, to yeah. go do the show. And we we had to tell the RSC no, which we were like, <laughs> oh my God. Um, and so, but like with a little caveat at the bottom saying, you know, if you ever want us again, <laughs> let us you know. You don't say no. No, you RSC. don't say no. And we thought, you know, you get one shot. You get one shot at the RSC and probably, probably that's it. And so we sort of forgot about it because we had good reason. It wasn't just us turning our nose up at the RSC. Absolutely not. Um, it was a hard email to send. And I think Nicola, the events coordinator at the time, uh, she emailed us when we were getting ready to do Christmas Carol in December because we always did Dickens for Christmas. And she said, there is a, there's like a two week slot next year, August of next year. Do you want to come? And we thought, let's check our calendars. Yes. Yes, yes, absolutely. (laughs) It's a year away. We've got enough time. We'll fundraise. So every show that we did after that went into a big fund pot for taking the cast. And we, we Indiegogo'd, we did all of the, you know, um, we call it our war chest whenever we need to go and shoot. Yeah. Get your Um, war chest together. So uh, the community around the theatre knew what it meant to us yeah. and knew what the th- uh, what ha- what Hamlet meant at the RSC, and so we we fundraised the whole year. It cost the company twenty thousand dollars to get like it was that that included ticket prices yeah, for, yeah, for everything, yeah. and we uh, <laughs> we had a few things that we had to bring with us that we couldn't borrow from the RSC. A few of them, one included uh, foils. <laughs> So we had a big bag of weapons that we were bringing on the plane with us. Um, And another in the big props box was um, Lawrence, who is our skull. Yeah, of course. Um, And it was donated to us from a professor, a, a human skull. So we were bringing that on the plane. Fun getting that through customs? Or they, I Well, I thankfully had moved on past cust security fast. Um, but I did look back and they, they were... I don't think they were... It, it had to be explained that we were yeah. theatre. It was being looked at. It was being looked after as well, I think, was more the issue for security. You're bringing sharp, pointy objects on a plane? <laughs> That's not allowed. You're not even allowed to bring tweezers. You're not going to get through the metal detector. No. With those, are you? <laughs> no. Um, ah, the human remains detector went off. You have a skull. So, um, so yeah, then we did that in 2014 and that felt like the pinnacle of stuff that I could do with that company. Right. So I said, all right, I'm, I'm staying here now. I'm going to move back to the UK. Okay. So that's probably a good time to call time just on this first part. We'll be back after the commercial break, uh, talking a bit more about uh, the communities and uh, the sort of connectivity uh, that Chris alluded to. Back with the ultra talented oh, God, good Mr. Christopher Commander. Um, and this is part two. Ah, hello, part so two. So, you shared with us a lot of detail about your kind of internal process and some of you know 
the, the key experiences in your journey so far. Sure. Um, we're really interested in um, connectivity and community. Um, and I want to come at it from a slightly different way. I want to come at it from the point of view of how you build a network because you are a jobbing actor. And, you know, uh, like we was, you know, we were saying, if you don't have an agent who does everything for you and gets you a TV show and gets you a film and you arrive and everything's easy, yeah. you've got a job, haven't you? You've really got to work. So could you talk a little bit about that? Oh, I, it's interesting. At, at this point in my quote-unquote career, it feels like I'm, I'm not even at the, the point where I want to be. So it's hard to give advice in terms of how I'm how I'm building myself for a network. But yeah, moving back in in 2014, I was at a loss. I had no contacts. I had no anything. And I was at a point where, you know, it, it's easier said than done to say, go get an agent. They'll get you work. Or, you know, where's where's your network? Where's where's the people that are going to help you step up on the next the next thing and it's tough because i mean some people can can look at my past and they can be like well you've got you know you've got a father who was in a very successful band and is that ever a problem is that is that good for you is that bad for you and in all honesty it's never really touched me as a as a kid or growing up because it was a very independent growth as a child and it was drilled into me that i was going to have to do this on my own yeah and so he hasn't opened doors for you? No, I, it's not that I don't think that he would have, w- wouldn't have if he could. Um, I think that that time in his life is different from what it is now. Those yeah. those sorts of contacts don't exist anymore. The sort of Godfather-esque figures in, in the music industries don't exist to the extent that they do that they do now or there are more of them and so i was so, going to ask about whether you felt that you had to overcome his shadow because you know in the 70s yellow was such a big band and especially locally i mean yeah of course know, people like my parents huge yeah. fans i think it's one of those things that that is a surprise to people when i tell them because my name isn't it's weird to say that but i guess my name is a recognizable name but my father's name isn't as recognizable he was very much lumped into the rest of the what's his name uh jake commander there's a small story jeffrey commander is his full name but jefflin didn't like the fact that there were two jeffs (laughs) and so he's called him jake ever since it's very much jefflin's band right yeah 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 nothing against you jeff if you're listening love you haven't seen you in a while uh so it's in terms of getting over a shadow I, i never felt that there was a shadow but also the amount of stories that my father would tell me about the quote-unquote good years through through all of that and touring and all of the stuff that came with the limelight. Resentment is the wrong word. That's the only word that comes into my head. I do not resent my father. It just makes me feel like I was born too late to reap the benefits of that. Yeah, because fame had already passed by the time. Right, exactly. And it's one of those things that I go, I wish, I wish this was useful to me. Not to say that I, I want to be given anything for free. It's just, it's a shame... It's not easier for me. And that comes back to, to this question of how do you how do you forge your way in a very competitive career? And and even when you're incredibly talented, I mean I've seen you a few times and you are utterly blown me away every single <laughs> thank time. You, I've thank seen you very you. much. That is very that's too but kind. Talent isn't isn't talent is not everything. Yeah. No. Um unfortunately. <laughs> I'm the top of the charts. No, it's just it's one of those really difficult things where I am 
I'm finding more of the importance of of self-promotion and marketing, but I also slightly rebel against it. And I think that's where my hubris kicks me in the butt yeah, a little bit. Tell us a bit about, I mean, The Bard in the Yard, which you did 2021, you did last yeah, year. Yeah, last summer, Again, yeah. it's a kind of, it's an outgrowth to sort of Shakespeare project, if you like. So tell yeah. us about how you got cast in that and then how that worked out, because that's a fascinating story. It is, actually. I, I don't remember, and I apologize to the person who, who got me interested in this company, um, Will & Co. out of London was doing a set. They did a Bard in the Yard the previous year when the first lockdown hit. And the idea was that because there's no theater out there, we have a solo show to bring to your front door. You don't have to go outside. It's in the comfort of your home. It's, you know, it's plague safe. And it's all about Shakespeare needing your help to write a play. And so the following year, I, I sort of put myself forward for the 2019 one, but I came at it slightly too late. I heard about it a little too late. And I sent my, my, my resume and my headshots and all that kind of stuff. And I said, this is, a, this is a project that sort of speaks to me, especially in a time where no theater's happening and I'm struggling mentally with not having work because you know me very well. I, yeah. I love the next project. Yeah, I love yeah. to be working. Yeah. So unfortunately, I missed, I missed out on that. But they also were saying that we might do some workshops, some Shakespeare workshops online. And so I said, I'd love to be part of that. And Victoria, she reached out and said, you're part of the now mailing list. Welcome to the, to the workshops. And so we did workshops every week on a Wednesday. And the idea was to pull apart text for people who didn't know anything about Shakespeare and people who knew a lot about Shakespeare. We were a huge mix of actors in that virtual room and you would come and you would do a piece and we would do movement stuff as much as you could over zoom we'd do different sort of process stuff and um it was interesting being introduced to certain things that that i'd never that i'd never done process wise before not you know you you learn the stuff that works for you and it was interesting doing stuff that wasn't my comfort zone which is stuff that i love to do it's weirdly enough part of the process i love to learn new process to figure out what makes me uncomfortable and get past those barriers so throughout that we we got told that bard in the yard was going to happen again last summer the 2021 summer and you're all open to audition for it so i auditioned for it and so i got cast in that and that was that was the major part of my summer it was a one person full-length show all about shakespeare writing Macbeth during the plague and he needs an audience's help and it was a combination of soliloquies from the canon mm-hmm. and also a uh, history of Shakespeare and some fantasy uh, writing from Did Victoria. Did you think it was well written? I thought it was well, well written. Um, I hadn't seen the script prior to being cast in it. It's interesting because I've seen both shows now. I was in, in one and I've also seen the other bards do it as well. And I also managed to see the previous one, which was called King John about him, him writing King Lear. Um, sorry, King Lear. And so, yeah, King Leonardo. And I think the second show was a sadder show. Um, it was more heartfelt than the first one. So the first one played for laughs, thinking it needed to pull the audience in. Yeah, the second and one was a bit truer. And I think what's interesting about that is it it writes about the time. The the first one was very much cathartic for the audience. They wanted to see a, a silly show. 
and there were some heartfelt moments in it as well but it primarily was to make an audience yeah, feel good yeah exactly and the second show was very much or the parts that connected to me again the dark sides of characters the loss that he lost his his brother and that's a major part of the show and um and 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 the journey that shakespeare goes on from childhood to where he is now so yeah. we're seeing the parallels in a sense with the the, the the author's life and the material that he's writing yeah. about. So there's a sort of resonance is there. Yeah, there's a connection between this this lovely triangle of 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 me and and being self assessing myself at all times and Shakespeare and where he was in his life and 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 the show itself. And there was a triangle of parts that we all connected, yeah. like a Venn diagram of of yeah. like perfect um spot on stuff and it was uh it was a tough show it was hard was to it learn. a fulfilling show did you finish it and think yes and did you finish it thinking this is a springboard to something else both yeah i i wish there was more of it and that was tough because it was a show that was formatted for the previous year but by the times but by the time we did it in 2021 theaters had already opened up and yeah. so it wasn't so much of a draw to go see someone do Shakespeare uh, on his own. And uh, the show was great. It was Cause just... Because you're horribly exposed. I mean, I went to see that um, at St. Mary's Centre in Litchfield. Yeah. And, uh, and it's a one-man show. And there was a band on before. So they've got safety in numbers. And then here you come on. Like and you've the got singular. It, and, and, you know, everyone stopped paying attention because the band had finished. And you had to win those people back. So what was your impression now? I, I thought it was... Uh, I, I was in awe because it was such a tough gig, really. You know, following a band and then suddenly coming out with all this fairly dry Shakespeare stuff. I mean, mm. it was entertaining and it, and it was funny, but you had to win that audience. And there was kids there that were playing and families there drinking and people, you know, some people left, but most people stayed mm. and uh, and most people got engaged and you, you know, you reached out and involved the audience. And, and I just thought... <sighs> You know, I might be able to do a bit of acting, but I can't do that. <laughs> Did you feel that. that as a burden? Because that's pretty scary, regardless of how experienced you are. And how did you deal with that? It was tough in Litchfield, actually, because it was one of the shows that was bought by St. Mary's. And so they didn't offer ticket prices to the people coming to see the show. So I was getting remnants of the people who had seen the band who had just happened to yeah. see me start. And the same thing, the opposite happens where people go, okay, I've had enough. I've had my tea and coffee. I'm off now. Because it was a free event. It so was a free event. Yeah, yeah, yeah. People could get up and they leave whenever paid, they wanted no. to. Yeah. So they're not yeah. invested. Right. And they're not, um, they're not beholden to the ticket price. No. So they don't, they don't have to stay. And that's yeah. part of the thing. It's a free event. You're welcome to leave if you want to. Um, thankfully, there was a few people in the back that, that stayed for the whole show and came up to me afterwards and said, my friend doesn't like Shakespeare. And this was like her first introduction. And we stayed for the whole thing. And it was really lovely. And I was like, that's really lovely that you stayed. Yeah. Um, uh, it, and you've had to learn that script. It's basically a 45 minute monologue almost. Yeah. It but, was. Yeah. And if you're used to being, you know, explored the door or, you know, fated wherever you go, and then suddenly you, this audience or that audience don't know you from Adam. That's yeah. That's a different game. The, I quite enjoy going somewhere when I, where I'm unknown. I enjoy the surprise of the audience of people who don't know me. I obviously enjoy and love people who come and see me again and again and again. Toughened you up a bit, in a sense. Yeah, it's interesting you use the word gig because it really is a gigging thing, and this comes back to your how do you market yourself in this current climate of of 
of work for actors. It really is at the moment and where I am currently is it feels I'm just jumping from one gig to another. Mm. I have to find, you know, what's going to happen in six months. You've got to look at finances. You've got to figure out, can I afford to do this project because it's a passion project? Or can I do this project because it pays, but it isn't as creatively rewarding? Yes. And I think everyone struggles with that. I mean, ultimately, I'd love to... It would be great to have an agent to be like, get me some gigs. But equally, I was talking to an agent a few years back, uh, and this is where the little rant comes in about networking. I, I submitted my stuff to someone who was opening their submissions to take on actors mm-hmm. to represent. And I got an email back that says, send us your spotlight link. And I don't have spotlight. I'm not on spotlight. And I said, I don't, I don't have one. Um, here's my resume. Uh, I've got some stuff online. This is the stuff that speaks for itself. And uh, she goes, we can't accept you unless you have a spotlight link. No professional actor and no professional director will hire you if you don't have a spotlight link. And uh, it was a fairly straightforward email. I probably took it to heart more than it was meant. But I disagree. I entirely disagree. I don't, you know, I don't think, I don't think David Tennant has a spotlight. I Like, there, you, you don't need certain elements of the quote-unquote acting profession to, to do acting. And I don't think you are required to pay for your craft all the time. I think you can go out and create your own work if you're stuck for work. If you're not working and you want to be working, go do it. Find something that may not pay you well, but every every part of my training comes from experience. I, do, I haven't ever had formal training. And every show, every director, be it a good director, be it a bad director, be it a good cast, be a bad cast, be a horribly touring show in the rain, mm-hmm. will be part of your toolbox for the next show yeah, you do. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I sort of resented that email because I went, I don't, I don't believe that. So I don't, you haven't got a spotlight. I don't. Yet, I still don't have a spotlight. <laughs> um, but there's something you know I kind of picked up with you is again, and it links back in with the Shakespeare. Is you did a series of uh, duets. And I often find that watching most people do Shakespeare is is difficult. You do it as a favour in a way, and you, mm. but your work is really captivating. You know, you get into the characters, and they're beautifully filmed. Um, that was born again some creative stuff that came out of lockdown. Um, I was struggling to not have a creative constant pull, and so it's that thing of create your own work, do something that that brings you joy and something you enjoy to do. Um, and someone out there will will like it if you're being you and people can see your passion it's not fake you you people can see that and they can enjoy it for what it is um so i started this project called uh separated shakespeare which was just an online idea where i would record a scene and then someone else would record the other half of the scene no matter where they are in the world so they would get my half of the scene and could act with me and the idea was for this project <laughs> the 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 ideal end result was that anyone in the world could act with any other actor. It wouldn't have to be me. I would be the catalyst to open the door to this. And so the idea would be like, oh, I liked the performance of Chris when he did this Henry V thing. I'd like to act with him. So then I would send them the master files and they could act quote unquote with me. And then I would edit it together as though it looks like one scene where we are acting together. Um, Is that on YouTube? That is on YouTube. So how does one find it? Oh, uh, if you search Christopher Commander on YouTube, you will find uh, that along with 
um, the theater vlogs that I do every time I do a show that means something to me. There is a Vortex blog vlog, and uh, you can see the I didn't behind know the scenes. I mean, I, I did, did you not know oh, about I the Vortex? You, I bought you. Did you did you put it into um, a website as well? The website will be coming soon. Yeah, yeah. 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 it will. Um, so it, it's, it will be gathered under there. But at the moment, the YouTube channel, so we yes. can promote that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So if you if you look up Christopher Commander, you will find uh, separated Shakespeare. Um, and you will also find the vlogs and you will find some full productions of things um, and some little mini projects that I've done throughout the year. So what are you doing at the moment or next? Well, I am currently, uh, talking about community, currently at Sutton Arts Theatre starting up rehearsal for the show that, that got cut short when lockdown hit. Now this is bizarre, right? Tell them the story. This is Deep Blue Sea. This is the Deep Blue Sea, a Terence Rattigan so piece. So when was it originally cast? So it was originally cast 2019. 2019. Yeah, oh, oh my goodness. Blimey, I know. Yeah, yeah. yeah, 2019. And we started rehearsal and then we'd done the first act, half of the second act and, and some of the third yeah, act. Yeah. And we came into rehearsal one day and then the next day, don't bother coming into yeah, rehearsal. Yeah. We're not in rehearsal anymore. We're, we're, we're done. So in terms of community, Chris and I have worked with Sutton Arts. I've worked probably seven years with them. Mm. And I've, I've never felt more welcomed and I've never felt a more buzzing creative community. Now, we go out and we do it for money. So there's always the sort of, it's not a pro gig, yeah. but it's it's often better than a lot of pro gigs the quality of the work that sure. you know that is done there um and 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 it's just an incredible engine so um how do you find it over there and how did you find it thinking back i stumbled upon them because they're local theater mm-hmm. this was this was after i'd moved back in so 2014 you moved 2014 back. i moved back i spent a year contemplating uh doing further education going to acting school yeah and then realizing that i had no contacts i was on my own i wouldn't say it was the lowest year of my life but it it was the year talking about have you ever like wavered in what you wanted to do Mm. that was the year that i was like this is this is tough i don't know anyone and do i moving back here was that a mistake everything is everything a mistake yeah Yeah. Yeah. and so i was looking for local theater and they were doing a production of west side story uh which i I think it was the next the following year 2015 i think yeah 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 and um i went to go see it and it instigated in me something that made me want to go talk to someone about the production like i wanted and i did and I, i i then auditioned for the Wedding Singer, which was the next one. Yeah, of and course, 2016. I, yeah. yeah, so I auditioned for them for The Wedding Singer. I got cast as, as George in it. And that was a lot of fun, and that introduced me to all these people that yeah. had worked on the previous show. And it was, it was a really good, it was that sense of family again. I don't know if I was reaching out for something that I just hadn't had in a while. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, things things change. You meet you meet the people that you want to continue to work yeah, yeah. with. It's a It's a really tough gig when it comes to tightrope with quality sometimes there are people that you would continually work with Mm. if they were available but sometimes they're not sometimes uh, i'm not around when i want to be and sometimes i am around when they don't want me to be it's just sort of stuff that yeah so i just continued to work with them at first i did everything that i possibly could because i felt this connection i felt and then i started to to get more of a realistic like i can pick and choose my projects. Yeah, yeah. I don't have to be here all the time. In fact, it, it might be a slight hindrance to 
constantly be here all the yeah, time. Yeah. But um, the thing of it is, it's so welcoming. It's so you know? welcoming. And I felt like when I arrived at Sutton Arts and it was like Barry and I, you know, crossing the Red Sea, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure it was Moses. And uh, it was actually Barry, it was Moses. <laughs> and um, we went over there and it was just, uh, it was instant. So when's this next one coming out? Then? So this, uh, we've got a quick turnaround. This starts on the 24th of February and ends on the 5th of March. So we've got, you know, two months to put this together. So tickets on sale already? Tickets are on sale. You can go to uh, uk. Yeah. go to their little booking page and you'll find all the dates. Yeah, we, we did, uh, we did a, a really good first rehearsal. It was interesting. I was talking to you about this, about the show has evolved while we haven't touched it. And I think that's really tough because you have to you have to force your brain not to do the work that you did 18 months ago. You have yeah. to treat it as a new show. You have to treat it with all the stuff that's happened in the last 18 months rather than try and ignore it. You have to use this new lease of life that you've got. The, but the, for me, one of the issues is, and it's quite a weird thing, is like stuff that would have been relevant or resonated 18 months ago or two years ago doesn't resonate now. So what's your, you know, what's your feeling then about Shakespeare, you know, like being used to comment on now you know a lot of these productions will be modern day yeah you know gender kind of i think i think there are there are certain elements of shakespeare that that lost their meaning over the course of the centuries and now we'll have proper conversations in rehearsal about like for instance uh romeo and juliet a plague on both your houses is going to have such a more detrimental an important line than just a throwaway line that Mercutio says before he dies. It's going to be, it's going to have a resonant with an audience that, that they didn't have 18 yeah, months yeah, ago. Yeah. And there are certain elements throughout the shows. I think it's hard to say that now more than ever, Shakespeare is relevant um, because he's, he's constantly relevant. He's been relevant mm. for 400 years, but I think there are elements that, that people, people like that commentary on, life as we know it in more of a fantasy way than th- th- there's a there's a line of, right, of straight comment on what's happened yeah it's too direct it's too yeah, 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 yeah it's too yeah and i think i think shakespeare has always been able to hide those subtleties in a fantasy but beautiful way even when they're talking directly to the heart i think um i, I want to say now more than ever but i think i think there's two ways of looking at it there's there's that do a direct like ah you know, have a plague doctor in yeah. Romeo and Juliet. I've always liked the idea that the apothecary that Romeo sees is a yeah, is a yeah. plague doctor because yeah. he would have gone the around. With the big, yeah, big yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but does that feel too on the nose? Uh, there's the whole line between something that is a piece of entertainment and then something that is a reflection of a reality that people wouldn't see. I mean, for me, one of the big transitions uh, in recent years is, is, the, is the move away from, from script-based work to much more de- devised and improvised stuff. So the, the prison stuff. I mean, even Santa, you know, stuff that's in the moment yeah. where you can kind of... People arrive and then you're in character and then you take that thing on a journey. Well, you had to do that in The Bard... Um, you yeah. were scripted and you'd learnt it, but you still had to improvise because you didn't know what the audience would right. do. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. It, that, that's part and parcel of of why why live theatre is so so magic. I mean, the 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 unwritten character in the list of characters on a cash sheet is the audience. Like yeah. a, a show wouldn't work without them there. 
But what do you feel now, looking, you know, grabbing your crystal ball and kind of looking at the future? Mm. I mean, what are the challenges for, for you, for us? Uh, and what is the, you know, what is the challenge for theatre? I think the challenge coming out of, of this evolution of the last 18 months is finding that line of, of cathartic release mm -hmm. and also theatre is there to make a point, to have an emotional reaction to an audience, to make them feel something, to make them feel alive, to make them feel grateful, to make them, to make them feel uh, uncomfortable. It's towing that line with how much do you want to comment on something? How relevant do you want this stuff to be? Or how much silly bubblegum stuff? I mean, yeah. th the same stuff happens with, with movies and any entertainment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but it's good to know the um the question and it's good to know the uh, the things that people have to balance you know the the work that i often like i mean i, I saw a production uh, maybe over 10 years ago marassad which is a very famous sort of 60s piece very avant-garde uh by uh, a german expressionist playwright called peter hanker and they were showing there'd been riots in, you know, in the cities. Mm. There'd been riots in mm. Birmingham and in London, and there was a sense in which this was spreading like a plague. And people were just going AWOL, and, you know, uh, shops were being ransacked and looted. And they had footage of this on screens in the actual show. So the, the subject matter of the play spilled over into the real life and consciousness life of our nation at that moment. And people were like saying, I didn't sign up for this shit. I came to be entertained. But I and think... They, and, and it was absolutely brilliant because they crossed the line. They entertained, but they pushed it to the point where a lot of people were just not comfortable. This is not the job of theatre. And it was probably one of my favourite things. It would have been a judge by many to have been a failure. And, you know, and the various commentators in the, in the broadsheets would say that it was a bridge too far. But for me, that is the line I would like to see crossed more often. If that's your message, you should be able to frame it in a way that makes an audience feel uncomfortable because that's, that, that's the intent. It's to make them realize why that connects to this. And that's why, you know, some, some themes of Shakespeare hit people in certain ways. And I think the answer to your question of, of what do you do? Do you, do you seek out the next commentary on on what's just happened i think it's going to come in ways that we just don't know yet some some something's going to happen someone's going to do i'm i'm always going to bring this back to shakespeare but as an example someone's going to do a random production of as you like it and someone's going to go that says so much about what happened in the last 18 months and you just don't know yet we don't know what that yeah, production yeah. we don't know what that it's feeling that is idea of holding up the holding up mirror the glass to nature, to nature isn't mm -hmm. it? you know um and, and I think that's the whole thing there is, is what is what are we reflecting back to ourselves? Okay, we appear to have come to the end of our discussion. It will be ongoing because you've been an incredible subject. Thank you for mm -hmm. allowing us to question slash interrogate you. My and pleasure. So open. My pleasure. And, 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 and producing what I think is just a, a brilliant uh, pod. Thank you for having me. Yeah, we'd love to have you back sometime. And, oh, absolutely. Uh, look forward to working with you yes, in the future. Yes, please. Yes. And what was the name of that um, play again at Sutton Art? The Deep Blue Sea by the Terence Deep Rattigan. Blue sea. Tickets available now. Tickets available now. Box office. Go and see Chris Commander. He is one of the best actors in the area, as far as we're concerned. As far as we're concerned. And a, a thoroughly nice chap.
Good night. Good Road Podcast. Where we talk about creativity, connectivity, and community with anybody involved in the arts. In our home city of Litchfield and, and the, the world, world at large. large.